coming on. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Dillon Community Church, and uh, glad you're here this morning. We, for those of you who have joined us, we're in a series on the Beatitudes, attitudes that should be in you. Jesus is summarizing the entire New Testament, if not the whole Bible, when he talks about, on the Sermon on the Mount, these eight theological statements of a Christ follower and what it means to follow Christ. We have had uh, just a little bit of discussion with you uh, that the Beatitude is like the seed, and then somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount is a more broader explanation of what the, the Beatitudes mean. So take your Bible this morning. It's not up on the screen this morning. Some of the points will be up there a little bit later. But this morning, we're going to ask you to take your Bible. Now, if you didn't bring your Bible, snuggle up to somebody who's got one. All right? Uh, watch the snuggling, but, uh, you know, snuggle up there. And uh, how many of you didn't bring your Bible? Can I see your hand? Well, God bless your sin-sick, shriveled-up little heart. Okay, well, <laughs> bring it next week, okay? Because we're going to need it. You'll need it, you'll, you'll need it every, every week. Verse 6 in chapter 5 says this, God blesses those. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, by the way. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And then the flower is in chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths ate them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there, your, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God or both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday, of li everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs or all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. God always meets any person at their desire. You're as close to God as you really want to be today. That somehow is a little bit of a, an interesting statement, because one of the marvelous things, according to the Word of God, is you can have all of God you want right now. 
You may not always get all the money you want. You may not always get the fame you want. You may not always get the success you want. But you can get all of God you want. But it is only when a person hungers and thirsts after God that he or she is really satisfied. In other words, you're as spiritual as you want to be. God will take you as far as you want to go based on your desire to be there. I know we want to blame circumstances. We want to blame somebody else for why we're not as spiritual as we should be. But when we really get down to it, it's our desire that keeps us from being more spiritual. The psalmist says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. There's only one hopeless condition that I can see in Scripture. It's when you're not aware of your need and you don't want to do anything about it. That was based in the book of Revelation with the church of Laodicea. In verse 14 of that chapter, he says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. My, what an indictment. Verse 16 says, you're lukewarm when you're like that. And he says, it says that Jesus wants to spit you out of his mouth. It's saying that this is what makes Jesus sick. Is that you say you have need of nothing and that you think you're rich without me. When a person comes to the point where they think they're so wealthy in other things and they don't need Christ in any situation and they think that, they're, 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 that they have everything without Christ, Jesus says, you're in bad shape. You are in deep yogurt. This is not a good situation to be in. And he says, so I'm convinced that I will bring about circumstances in your life to bring about a condition where you will absolutely seek me with all your heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Why? To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. So that's why we are in wilderness experience? You bet. To humble and test us to see what's really in our heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. And then verse 3 says, He humbled you. He let you fail, causing you to hunger. And then he fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had ever even known about, to teach you that a man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We are all hungry people. We are not all satisfied people. And on occasion, we feel content. With all apologies to those brewing companies who say it doesn't get any better than this. It does. God allows us to fail to make us hungry, bringing us to a point where we cry out. If a person is really under my control, God says, he'll cry out for me. 
We began our series about three, three weeks ago over here at this Aspen, this poor in spirit Aspen, which is looking a little really poor in spirit today. We need a little water over here maybe. But we talked about a person who's poor in spirit as a person who has come to their life who doesn't think they're just down on their luck or, or they have uh, something to offer God, but they're really low on it. No, it's a person who understands that spiritually they are destitute. They have nothing to offer God. He has everything to offer them. Everything. And when they realize that, it breaks their heart. They begin to mourn. What do they mourn over? The fact that they've broken God's heart, that they've tried to go on their own independent way, think they were really hot stuff, and now, you know, they've come to a point where they really realize they don't want to be under their own control. And so they put themselves in a meek position, under the control of God. And when they're under the control of God, truly under the control of God, now they begin to hunger and thirst for God in every way. It's like the Beatitudes are like a mountain. The first three Beatitudes kind of lead you up the mountain the poor in spirit, to the morning, to the meek. And then you meet God at the top and He satisfies you. doesn't even give you just contentment. He gives you complete satisfaction. On the California psychological exam, it says, there's a question there. It says, at present, are you satisfied with your marriage? The correct answer should be no. Why? Because tomorrow it should be better. This is incredible in the kingdom of God. That when you come to meet Him and to know Him, it becomes satisfied. It just, it just keeps getting richer every day, but the satisfaction of that day does not need any more. A person who is always aware of his or her condition will always be hungering and thirsting for God. A man who has no appetite... For God probably has never even tasted Christ. First Peter chapter 2 says to desire the pure milk of the world. word. If a man has tasted of Jesus, I want to tell you something, folks. If you've had a taste of God in your life, you've tasted how good the Word is, you've tasted what the salvation can do in your life, if you've tasted that experience that goes on day after day after day, you want more and more and more and more. I love that old hymn that says, More of His grace to others show. More of His saving fullness see. More of His love who died for me. More about Jesus would I know. What about the word righteousness? What does it mean? That is to say, those who are hungering to be right with God. To be mature like Jesus. The writer of Matthew uses an interesting Greek construction here. When he talks about the words of Jesus, for those of you who have the red letter edition, these are the words of Jesus. And the Greek construction is amazing because if you're saying that a man hungers after bread or thirsts after water, you would always use the Greek construction that a man thirsts after a bread or he thirsts after a water. In other words, he's hungry for a slice of bread. He's hungry for a glass of water. But in this construction, he drops, the, he drops the indefinite article and all that's there is a man who hungers and thirsts wants the whole thing. He hungers and thirsts for all of righteousness. Doesn't want just a piece of bread. He wants the loaf. He wants the loaves behind the loaf. He wants the water. He wants to drink all of it. 
This is the man who realizes, why does he want that? Because he's now under the control of God. Why is he under the control of God? Because he came to a point in his life where he saw that he was breaking the heart of God. He was breaking the heart of God because he was on his own program. And now he wants to be on God's program. How did he come to that realization? Because he got to the point in his life, the starting point where he realized, I've got nothing to offer God. He's got everything to offer me. What a starting point. What an incredible starting point for somebody. Because then they repent from their sin of being on their own program. And they take over and they want God to fill their life and under His reign to have His control. And now they have not just a snack appetite, they have a banquet appetite. They have a buffet appetite. They're going back and back and back. And for you food lovers, this is nirvana. Never getting full, but satisfied. But what do we do? We come to church and sometimes we say in our lives, Oh God, I'm not asking for much today. But I'd just, li- I'd just like to see you today, just a little bit. Could I just have a half a slice? Could I have a half a cup of water today? My, my dear friends... I'm like that too. Some days I get busy and I know I have an appetite and you have an appetite and we're feasting on other stuff. Way too much TV, too many books, too much reading, too much activity. And we don't take the hunger and thirst. And sometimes all we're interested in is in just a little slice of bread to get us going. I hope you're not at the point where you think that a half an hour sermon awake is your a half an hour sermon once a week is going to fill your spiritual appetite. I hope you've come to the point where you are a self feeder, where you read the Word of God yourself. I hope there's times where you take small groups. I hope that if you men, if you haven't got anything going on Wednesday morning six thirty, this is the place to be. But it takes that hungering and thirsting. But yet I find in my life they're hungering and thirsting for other things. Not just for the Word. Sometimes we hunger a little bit for God. You know, we we pray some or we witness some or we tithe big time or whatever we do or maybe we pray some. And then we think because we do that, God will give us a little pass over here. You know, on losing my temper or trying to exhibit too much control in my life and other people's lives. That's not the way it works, because when we hunger and thirst for being right with God, we mature with God. We don't get a pass on, on, on not being compassion, compassionate. But because we hunger and thirst, and we find other avenues to feed us, we find other places to feed our, our thinking. And rather than just the Word of God, we also check our horoscope. And we check, we check, you know, Red Book Magazine. And we check all kinds of other stuff. And we put that all in the mix and say, now I'm going to figure out the will of God. No, the will of God is the person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. They, they are satisfied. We don't get a pass on being compassionate to others. My boss, who I visited this week in Florida... 
You don't want to go to Florida this week. Just raining all day long. You know, 98 degree humidity. But I love my boss. He's a phenomenal guy. He's about 5'5". Weighs about 140 pounds or so. One of the most delightful human beings I've ever been around. The only negative thing in his life, he's a Green Bay Packer fan. <laughs> he was telling me about two weeks ago or so, he was at Lambeau Field. He and his buddy brought a special Ed child to the game. Not part of Make-A-Wish Foundation, but these are just two guys who reached out to a special Ed kid who's riddled with cancer. He's got six months. He will not make it. And the kid had never been to a Green Bay fan, but he's a fabulous Green Bay Packer fan, has been. He's only 13, been a fan since the kid was six. And so they took him. The wife of my boss gave up her seat so this kid could go. And he's sitting at Lambeau Field, kind of like a dream for him. Hurting and in pain, but somehow buoyed up, if you know what I mean, by the fact he's there. Probably the only game he'll go to in his life. And he got really excited over one play. Doesn't know all the rules about football. And he was sitting in front of a, the opposing team, a fan from the opposing team. And the kid got excited and said something about a certain rule which was wrong, and this big guy stood up, not even knowing this kid, turned around and screamed at him. He said, you dumb, and he called him an SOB. Learn the rules. And then sat down. This little kid was just shaken. Just shaken. My boss, again, who's not a big guy, leans forward and he said, you know, I think this would be the appropriate time for you to turn around and apologize to this young man. Nothing. Not even a look, not even a muscle twitched. About 30 seconds later, my boss leaned forward again and said, I think this would be a really good time right now if you'd stand up and apologize to this young man. Nothing went on for a couple more minutes. This kid is just about ready to lose it. He's choked up with emotion, doesn't know how to handle it. Finally, my boss leaned forward and whispered in the guy's ear. He said, sir, this is a young man who's 13 years old. He's got six months to live. His body is filled with cancer. And it doesn't get a whole lot worse than cancer in a children's ward. He said, I think this would be a really good time. You'd apologize. And if you'd do that, it would take care of everything. Nothing. Then about 20 seconds later, this big hulky guy stood up in the opposing jerseys fans. Turned around, he said, young man, he said, I'm an idiot. I really apologize. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the game. And he sat down. My boss, Tom, leaned forward. He said, thank you. You're a good man. The man said, no, I'm not. 
I'm a terrible human being. I know better than that. After the game, Tom and this gentleman talked. Turns out this guy's a believer too. But because we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, we think we get a pass on compassion. Oh, for people who just get it. Who understand that they have nothing to offer God. They're just destitute. They're lost. Their life is corrupt. It's gone. It means nothing. It's hopeless. The world has nothing to give you. And that person sees the light of the gospel in their eyes. And they go, oh my God, I've been breaking God's heart all these years. Because I wanted to be on my own program thinking I was really hot stuff. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sick of me. Oh, let me come under your control. And now, Lord, create in me a banquet appetite to hunger and thirst for all you've got. Strong is your desire this morning. Oh, God, I need thee every hour. Most precious, Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, I need thee. Bless me now, O Savior. I come to thee. What does it mean to hunger and thirst? Let's take a little exam this morning, shall we? By the way, all of that was introduction. So you know that doesn't count on my total time. Because maybe after the exam, all you'll see is that, no, I just wanted to go to church. No, I just want to be part of a Bible study. What does it mean to really hunger and thirst? There are three characteristics, and I think these are coming up on your screen. I don't have the monitor, so I'm trusting they're up there. The first one is that you need to have the right affections. Do you have the right affections? Verse 19 says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Where moths eat them, rust destroys them. Thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Moths, rust, can't destroy them. Thieves can't break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there, there are the desires of your heart will be also. Very foolish thing to do. You can, you can get all dressed up, can't you? You can buy a lot of expensive clothes, but that doesn't mean you're rich. Goodness, even a moth can come in and wreck that thing. You might be a great agricultural person, have great barns full of grain. And I've always wondered why you put the grain with the rust. Because in Greek, the word rust means rodents who devour. <laughs> That's what it literally means. Devoured by rodents. You have all these barns and a mouse can wreck it all. <laughs> and then he says, a thief can come dig a hole in the wall of your house and get in. Well, that doesn't happen today, but let me tell you something. You can be on the computer today, can't you? And you can get hacked. There's even identity theft today. Isn't it interesting that a man's heart will always follow his treasure? I think it's true for women too, isn't it? My wife reminds me of that. She says that, yeah, my heart kind of pitter-patters after my treasure sometimes. And I said, well, what is your treasure, honey? And she said, well, it's a four-letter word sometimes. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes. I said, are you going to tell me the word? She says, well, it's in the newspaper. Really? Am I going to have to hunt for it? No, I'll tell you. Well, what is it? Sale. (laughs) I think men are there too, right? How's your heavenly bank account doing? 
I think I would have written it the other way. I wouldn't have said that a man's heart follows his treasure. I would have said a man's treasure will follow his heart. No. Jesus got it right. Second thing. Not only will you have the right affections, but you'll have the right allegiances. In verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one, love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the word there is actually mammon. Mammon simply means whatever you trust in. So you're either a slave to God or you're a slave to mammon. When it says you'll hate one and love the other, what does that mean? Well, it's a progressive kind of an inclination from an heiress participle. Yeah, big deal. What does that mean? It means this, that if you start undervaluing one, you'll start overvaluing the other. And the more you undervalue this, the more you overvalue this. Or the more you overvalue this, the more you undervalue this. Until you come to a point where you love one, you hate the other. When we first came to Jesus Christ, many of us overvalued, as we should have, the complete trust in the sovereignty of God Some of us had a few bucks to live on, and we thought it was great, but then all of a sudden God allowed us to make a little cash, and we saw what the power of money could do. And all of a sudden we kind of very, very subtly we started looking at a little bit of a higher estimation of what money could do, maybe just a little lower estimation of what God could do. And it went on that way. i got to tell you that I've been a pastor for many, many years, and I've sat in my office where businessmen have come in and certainly wept. And so there was a day in my life where I was completely sold out, abandoned to Jesus Christ. I hungered and thirst for everything. And then I saw what the power of money could do. And I saw it. And at the same time, my, my hungering and thirsting got a little less. And I moved from a buffet appetite to just a slight snack. And I began to think like, well, I'm not going to depend upon the Lord. I'm going to depend upon my riches. And here I am in your office, broken, totally unsatisfied. Because I've had the wrong allegiances. And even now when my wife says, let's go to church, I go, I don't even want to. I don't even like it. Pastor, what's, what's going on for me? You're just living it straight out of verse 24, chapter 6. Can't serve two masters. Impossible. Because either you'll come to love the one and you'll hate the other. You'll be devoted to one. You'll despise the other one. Gradually the hold on one will grow and the other will loosen. Do you believe this morning that God will take care of you? That's why he says, don't worry about what you're going to wear. What you're going to put on. Oh, the unbelievers, the pagans think about that stuff. Not you. Not us. We believe God's going to take care of us. Now, we understand that faith without works is dead and that kind of thing. We, I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about the unforgettable knowledge that God will take care of you. So many times we're Christians on Sunday and then we act like unbelievers Monday through Saturday in the realm of God taking care of us. The final test this morning is not only the right uh, affections and the right allegiances, but also the right ambitions. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. He's not referring to a place. He's referring to a lifestyle, a way of life. The kingdom of God is in your heart and your mind and he rules it. When Jesus said, my kingdom has come, he meant that it came into the hearts and minds of people. 
And someday His coming will come with the new earth and the new Jerusalem. But until then, the kingdom of God is resident in us. And that's how the disciples, and that's how the world knows His disciples, because those birthmarks are all over us. When people look at us, they see, this man has been broken, this woman has been broken. That person has now come to understand that they are, have nothing to offer God. This person has the birthmark, birthmark of mourning over them. They have repented and turned from their, their sin of, 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 of being against God and against His control to now surrendering under His control. These persons are not weak, but they're meek because they're under the control of God. And boy, do those disciples of His, do those disciples have a birthmark where they hunger and thirst for what God has to say because then they are satisfied. I don't know what satisfies you. But I do know that everybody has hungry and thirsting. And you can take a little child, and if you let him eat whatever he wants to eat and drink whatever he wants to drink, he'll eat candy and drink soda pop all day long. And then he'll have a stomach ache and be grouchy and wired up to this degree. What are you eating? What are you drinking? There are people who just have a snack appetite for God and they start lying to listen to all the gossip and they listen to all the other stuff in the world and then they come into the church and they grouse and they gripe and they complain and they gossip. Surprised? I'm not. So the question here this morning is, what kind of appetite do you have? Because you know what's coming next week? Blessed are the merciful. Oh, this is going to be good. Ever feel like you're about one six-pack low of mercy every week? You could just drink another six-pack of mercy real quick. That's because a person who is merciful is one who's hungering and thirsting for God. That way he knows how, and she knows how to be merciful. We're going to pick that up next week. The right affections. The right allegiances and the right ambitions. Seeking the kingdom with all your heart. This morning we're going to take communion. We're going to kind of keep the same format that we did in the amphitheater. You come when you're ready to take communion. In just a few minutes I'm going to ask those elders that are here in the service to come up and stand by one of these stations in just a moment. You guys can relax for just a minute. But I wanted to give you a little heads up there. And, and during that time, here's what I'd like to happen. For those of you who may say, well, should I come to the community table? Listen, this is, this is the Lord's table. This is not the table of Dillon Community Church. It's the Lord's table. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are welcome. But there may be two things that may, are, may be on the docket for today. Number one... You may say, well, after this message, I really do want to come to Christ. I want to get back there and understand that I am poor in spirit and that I want to turn my life over to Jesus Christ. I want that to happen to me today. Then maybe even while I'm looking at you right now, I might be praying this with you. And you might want to pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life right now. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Come into my heart and make me the person you want me to be. If that's your prayer today, then I want you to come and to inaugurate that time by faith and have the cup and have the bread today with us.
But for those of us who are Christ followers, for those of us who are disciples today, today may have to be a day of renewal for us when we come. Lord, I'm, I'm tired of the snack appetite. I want to move into the buffet world. I don't want just a slice. I just don't want a half a cup of water. I want the whole load. I want, my, I want my life to be marked. I want to be a marked woman. I want to be a marked man. Lord, you know the discontent in my life. You know the unrest. I want to be satisfied. That may be a renewal of a vow. Or it may be we need to start it today. But as you come, feel free to stay up here. Peel off to the side a little bit with your family. Have a little prayer. The elders are going to be up here. Hey, maybe you want to mosey over to one of the elders and say, would you pray for us today? Could you remember this? I'm going to ask the elders just to pray with you if you want that. That's up to you. Make this a time of community and family today. It's just us guys in here today. This is our family. It's what families do. They help each other in their walk with Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, this morning, as we partake at your table, may we come with an attitude of humility, an attitude of grace and comfort, and a great attitude of assurance that you've made the way clear. But remind us again, too, Lord, if there's any pride or arrogance in our life or thinking that we have something that offer you, that we once again just turn that over to you. And God, for, for those who may have just prayed that prayer for the first time in their life today, I say to them, welcome to the family of God. And may this first communion for them be memorable in the fact that today they have committed their lives to you. And for those of us who know you, may this be once again a reminder, a renewal of saying, Lord, increase my appetite. And for those who maybe have never started, may today be the beginning point again. And we commit this in your gracious name, we pray. Amen and amen. Elders, if you'd come, stand up here with us. And then you come on your own time schedule when it's time is right to come.
talking about hungering and thirsting. All right. But we'll take care of that. Our apologies for that. God knows your heart. Would you stand and receive the benediction this morning?
Lord God, dismiss us right now. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says all of these attitudes should be for one thing. That we would be the salt and the light to a dying world. That these attitudes are making such a radical difference in our lives. That people can identify us very quickly as Christ followers. May this week be one of those days where perhaps we're identified as a Christ follower. Let that be one of the joyous moments of our life when we can give an answer for the hope that's within us. Dismiss us now with your blessing. May your face shine upon each person here. May you bless them richly in their lives this week. May this be a week of hungering and thirsting for you. In our dear Savior's name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a strong Sunday.